what do you guys think of when you hear the word calling? Gen Z. <laughs> um, you see, I think for me is something that like I can do for the rest of my life. <laughs> that kind. Oh, that you can do for the rest yeah, of your life. Yeah, and okay. that I will love. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Vivian? Uh I think for me, uh, I, I used to think it was like a like a dream, like those kind of like a like a dream job or something like that. Yeah. But then I think maybe now it's like it's more like a life. Like like a like similar to I should like a life that I I I like. Interesting. So she just proved our theory wrong. <laughs> we were expecting that Vivian would give a slightly more spiritual answer. Yes. Ooh, I I thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah. so too. I I used to think that it was a purpose, like from God. From God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we, that's what yeah, we yeah, brought yeah. teaching you, right? We taught you yes. when you grow up, right? So what has changed in the process? Hmm. Um. I think like. Uh, like this is like recent years. Like I think I think it like changed. Like I, I The way we talked about it here changed. Yeah. Like the way we talk about purpose changed. Then I think like I I think You changed with it. Yeah. I, oh, I fascinating. Yeah. That makes me so happy. Aww. <laughs> no, because I think part of sometimes the fear of a leader is that you know what you teach ten years ago will change and you worry about the repercussions of what you te- taught 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah. Okay? What's your definition of calling? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, calling, was, when I was younger, it has always been this sacred, uh, spiritual oh. thing that oh. has a lot of like, yeah, <laughs> it's a moment <laughs> where you, you know, it's something that God bestowed onto you. <laughs> And you're called to do something like Wow, what a bigger, word. Bestow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bigger than yourself. Yes. I guess until now, even though the way that we talk about calling has shifted, but I guess for us, we still hold it. There's to, a legacy yeah, residual that kind yeah. of That kind of, uh, we hold it with a lot more, not less, not just practical, like do what in life and what's your job and what's, yeah. <laughs> there's a bit more meaning and a bit more significance a bit and more value. transcendence. Yeah, and value, yeah. yeah. Which I don't think is wrong. Okay. So that's what we're going to talk about today uh, mm. in today's episode. Um, because I had a moment this week because some of you guys know I attend a particular mentoring group. Uh, well, I have no choice. I have to mention his <laughs> name here, right? Okay. I'm still like, why get anybody in trouble? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, he's too far away that nobody will. Yeah, okay. So, so um, I attend a mentoring group with Paul Scanlon. Mm. Um, and right now, this year, we're doing like sessions every two weeks. And we recently had a session on redefining calling. And I think for the first time, um, it was a very emotional mentoring group session for me. And it was for many people in the group. You could see it on our faces mm-hmm. and you could hear it in the questions. And me being Asian, I didn't ask a question. But I was too emotional. <laughs> yeah, so I came in and told her, like, we need to talk about it. Let's just talk about it since it's fresh. Yeah. Yeah, so today I'm going to, we're going to do this uh, podcast a little bit differently. I'm going to do quite a bit of teaching. Kay will interject here and there but it'd be quite a the first half will be teaching yep. and we'll probably do a Q&A after this like kind of like mm-hmm. a discipleship group session that we do in our in TIVO lah. yeah yes okay so let me start by saying this Um, we need to redefine what Christians call calling mm. yeah I don't know how a person in the secular world defines it I'm sure there are some overlaps and similarities but I think definitely within the spiritual context we need to Redefine it. So when I was growing up, right, 
um, for me, um, charismatic evangelical church really define calling for me as a big event in our life. And we always kind of associate it with the moment Peter fell to his knees and said, Lord, I will follow you and become a fisher of men or the bright white light, you know, Paul's one or Isaiah, the temple and like you have eyes sent me. And so I think um, for me, Christianity made it an event. And when I was younger, 14, 15, that became the thing. And I think a lot of you, a lot of my contemporaries and peers, we look for that. And encounters and supernatural encounters became the way we pursued God like, initially when we were younger. Um, then when I was around 17, 18, as I matured a little bit more, I started to realize that, hey, I'm, no, I think I'm seeking the wrong thing. And I'm seeking bright white light experience to confirm my identity versus finding my security in just knowing God mm. and hearing Him in a personal way. Mm. But I think because of the way the whole system was set up, I sort of just ended up kind of living in a contradiction. Hmm. Like what I was taught versus what I was experiencing on a daily basis and always trying to figure out how to, to reconcile the both law. So I think generally, right, larger, larger church context has a real problem with this, especially, and I think it's especially left over from the missionary golden age. Mm. the missionary revival. So I call it a revival because I really do believe it was a revival um, that had pros and cons. Mm. Um, it was both beautiful and flawed. It was a product of its time. The, the church needed to go out into the world and reach the world. But it also, along with it, went imperialism and colonialism <laughs> as well. Uh, so there was a lot of downsides. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to belittle how powerful I feel every movement in time in Christianity is. I respect it for what it is. But I think the bad consequences of the tipping point was it did come with this like a kind of like poverty mentality. Mm. Like dress small, dress conservatively, think small, you know, suffering and being poor is glorious and it's your badge and trophy of honor. Mm. Um, and I would say I went into my calling into building the evolution that way too. Mm. where I was too willing to sacrifice and have nothing. And I remember I had mentors that would come and talk to me and say, no, the church is paying you too little for too mm. long. Yeah. Uh, and that was the only time I was willing to raise my pay. Mm. And even was <laughs> didn't even raise it that much. <laughs> oh. Then my mentor was like, okay, la, okay, la, yeah, la, it's a bit of increment. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think if you want to see also the good side of that movement, right, that, mm. that, that poverty movement, right, there is, I would say, um, little slithers of it that hint at towards what I think is a new frontier that we need to bring into the church which is the minimalist mindset mm. you know of use things but love people and mm. make more room in your life for not more things but more love more creativity mm. more connection yeah um, and I feel actually there is that that little thing in there mm. um and I think even in that poverty mindset, there's this antidote to the prosperity gospel, which is all about success and money and flashy and mm. cool church. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's very weird, right? Because I think every movement in Christianity is a reaction to a previous movement mm. and an antidote to the previous movement. Mm. So prosperity gospel is an antidote to poverty mindset, but poverty mindset or rather minimalism now yeah. is an antidote to prosperity gospel. So, but anyway, one of the things that I feel today I, I would like to deconstruct, especially once and for all in TiVo, is this idea of calling as a 
event because sometimes I feel it continues to have ramifications. Yeah, true. Um, especially among the millennials in our church, lah. Yeah. It gives the impression that some people in our community are specially called mm. and the rest of us just get subsumed to that one person's identity and calling, primarily being me. Mm. Okay? Um, and I think when any church or any spiritual community, any religious community has that mindset, it can be very easily abused. Mm. Where one person is the celebrity overriding everybody. Then I think also, even if it's not abuse, the downside I see is there becomes this limiting mindset in majority of Christians that mm-hmm. translate into I can't unless I'm called mm. or I'm not called so I cannot contribute. Mm. Yeah, It becomes a license for insecurity. It becomes a, a license for laziness mm. also. So, and I think sometimes it also, I think for me, this is my reflection that it sometimes also contributes to backsliding a little bit because Christians think if I haven't had a bright white light experience, I haven't had encounters with God, then how do I know God is real? How do I know I'm really special to God? Mm, and yeah. why, why do I just carry on living my life without God? Mm. Yeah, so I feel like there's this whole trickle-down effect. And I, I think what I want to bring to this conversation is that I think God is in everything. Mm. Both the rare, bright white light moments yeah. and really the millions of tiny awakening moments, gradual awakening moments that are in our life that lead us to connect with something bigger than ourselves and ultimately with God, the person of God himself. Mm. And, and I think maybe one thing I want to say is maybe it's better to look at, for example, Paul's experience with the bright white light and Jesus as a metaphor rather than an event. Mm. And even if there was a bright white light experience that one event cannot transform your life, Paul went through many years of training, mm. mentoring, learning to keep himself in check and to change his way of thinking to get to that place. Peter was the same way as mm. well. I think we need to stop associating so much with that moment versus that journey la, mm-hmm, of the calling. Yeah. yeah. So PC, everyone is built with a calling, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's inbuilt. Oh, everyone have a calling. Yes. Already has. Not will have. Not. It's not bestowed onto you. <laughs> no. No, it's not bestowed. Like, dun, 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 I knight you. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Um, I think it's who you are. Um, mm. We'll do another episode one day about finding your identity and yes. your why because I do think there is a subtle difference. Mm. But generally, I think calling is who you are before you had a body. Well, Paul Scanlon says this, before you had a body or even psychological consciousness. Mm. Now, if you're a Christian, of course, our view is that before you were born, God already knew you and knit you together mm. and had and destined you for good works. Is that a thing Ephesians says, right? So, you're not born into a calling. You are born with a calling. Mm. And I think one thing that I think Paul Scanner has really helped me unpack over the last two years of being in, um, one and a half years of being in a group with him, that nurture and the constructs you grew up in, the systems you grew up in, the cultures you grew up in, can really either help you or hinder you in terms of living into that calling. Mm. So I would say, like what I said all in the beginning just now, right? Mindsets that I grew up with in church have definitely both helped and hindered me. Mm -hmm. Um, Things people have said to me, even 
things fantastic mentors have said to me have both helped and hindered. Um, because I think at any given time, even my own personal constructs are interacting with their advice and therefore I'm reading their advice in a certain way. Um, so it's nobody's fault. It just is what it is lah. You know, um, everything is, every piece of advice is a product of its time up to that moment. Mm. And Mm. everybody changes and therefore their definitions change and their advice changes lah. Mm. And so I think it becomes very important that we need to kind of unpack, right? what is our calling versus what is our roles and the things that we play in life for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So PC calling is not a definite to-do, right? It's a trajectory. I would say, yeah, it's hard to define. Yeah. I would say it's a trajectory, but I feel like it does have a little bit of attachment mm. to purpose and to do almost more than identity. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. true, true. So yeah, which, which leads to my question, right? Like, is there a difference between identity and calling? Today, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> today, I'm going to say yes. We'll see what I say in two weeks time when we do the, I, the episode of identity. But today, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. But I think that they do overlap. Mm. Because I think identity has to do with who you are. So currently, my current statement for my identity, which is the first time I've actually come up with a statement for my identity, wow. right? And I'm turning, I've turned 39 this Ooh. year. So that tells you how long it took me to figure this out. <laughs> Um, my statement is connected leadership, intelligence, and creativity. That is who I am. That makes me the happiest. That's what I'm drawn to. That's how I do my life. That's how I do my ministry. That is how I do my work as a mm. boss, as a leader, as a mentor. Connected leadership, intelligence, and creativity. So I won't elaborate what that is mm. today. Okay, just that everything I do, I live for this value system and this way of being. Yeah. It doesn't matter what role, what job I take on. Um, which actually very funny. This year, I'm saddled with a lot of roles suddenly. <laughs> mm. Like, oh my God, suddenly, right? I'm saddled with a lot of roles. Um, I've been taking on quite a few new things, started a new business and all that stuff. So, so in order for me to feel authentic, I need to live into my identity. Mm. And in order for me to feel like I'm thriving through the good stuff and also the challenging times, I need to feel like I'm living in connection that I'm doing some form of leadership or creating connected leadership. I'm exercising intelligence and thoughtfulness. I'm being creative. Mm. And it takes, I think it takes a lot of work to find your identity, which we'll talk about in another episode. You need to do a lot of digging and reflection and like really, really going at it. Now, calling, however, I think is almost one degree of difference. Mm. A thing that, for now, the best way I can put it is I feel like it's something that runs alongside identity in partnership. It's yoked to your identity. Mm-hmm. It's the better way to put it. I think it's yoked to your identity. Yeah. So, for example, right now, the best way I can describe it is I still definitely feel a deep calling to be the leader of the evolution. Not the pastor of the evolution. <laughs> but I'm shedding that, 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 that thing that got <laughs> that put title. on me, that got like slammed on me and bestowed <laughs> on me. Like, I, I, I feel a deep calling to be the leader of the evolution. The leader of our team. Hmm. Yeah. I don't feel right now it's time for me to retire or to replace myself hmm. yet. Um, and I feel a calling to all that comes with it to mentor youth. Yeah. To mentor leaders, to change the way people, non-Christians who think about God and Christianity. Um, and I think that part of me, I've always had that passion. A very strong mm. passion. It keeps me awake. Like how, like what is true 
following Jesus? What is true good humanity? What is true mm. connection with God? You know, how, how can I teach people? How can I learn and teach people to be a real representative of Jesus? How can Jesus permeate um, every part of my being mm. and my life and my relationships? Yeah. I've always been like, it makes me angry. It makes me passionate. It keeps me awake at night. Mm. It's my identity. It's my calling, sorry. And so no matter how hard it's gotten over the years and how many times I've burned Oh, I haven't burned out that many times. Now. How many <laughs> times I've fallen into depression, discouragement, yes. and burned out once? Yeah. Um, I can't seem to walk away, even in the middle of burnout. I cannot let it go. Mm. Um, and it's not just because I feel feel like I have to. Mm. I just feel something that is deep within that, and I think that is calling. Mm. Now, will this particular community be my calling forever? That's a question mark. Who knows, right? Mm, yeah. My inkling is yes. I think very high lightly, I'll always be anchored here mm. in some way. Um, but maybe the roles and responsibilities I take on attached to that calling might mm. change. Mm. Yeah. So I think that is how I describe calling. Yeah. I think to me, calling sounds like, uh, the way I hear it is like, calling is an expression or rather is actual living out of your identity. Oh, that's so well put. Is that it? And maybe the ultimate expression mm. of your... The ultimate aim of your mm, identity. Mm, mm. The utopia of your identity. Mm. Huh? The way it sounds like... Oh my god, that sounds quite good. Well done, Craig. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't in our notes. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes, yes, So, yeah. PC, how do you know what your calling is? Like, is everyone's calling unique, different mm. than the other person? Yeah, I think everyone's calling is unique. Hmm. I think we might be very similar. We might be walking the same paths in life. Like obviously, if you're in this community, mm-hmm. we're all walking together yeah. in some sort of trajectory. And even if someone's value is similar, their mm. calling is different. Can look different. Someone's value. Meaning... Someone's gifts are similar. Yeah, you mean? gifts or, Passions. The, or things that they value, their identity. Yes, but I think every calling will still be unique. Because every single mm. human being is so unique. Yep. We are different temperament. We are so I learned this recently again, right? Because reading our personalities. And I found out actually in psychology, right? You know, all the tests we do online mm. are not official tests. They don't look at personal because even with INTJ and all the multiple millions of ENTP of, uh, of configurations you mm. can get, psychologists will still say it is too limited to encompass all of who a person is. Mm, mm, mm. So they look at all these things as tools and all varied tools to help you point at who you are, but none of them can give you a full picture of who mm. a human being is. Yeah. Yeah. So they're more likely to talk about, for example, the five fundamental stuff, you know, neuroticism, the core personality stuff. We can talk about that another day. Mm. But but yeah, so all these things are not official stuff to to categorize people the groups. Mm. This is not like, I don't know, like, like Eurodite and what's the thing? The, the, the Hunger Games, right? And then they have four different... Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so... so I think everybody is so varied mm. in experience and life and temperament that it's always going to be unique. Mm-hmm. And it's always going to be there internally. So again, I want to stress, calling is not absent in your life this very moment as you're listening to even if you don't know what it is exactly. Mm. It's at very best dormant and in hibernation. Mm. 
But I think the thing about calling is that's why they call it calling, right? It calls to you. Mm-hmm. It's always going to slip out. If you slow down long enough, you'll hear it. You could be, you could be in a hurry and you'll hear a niggling feeling at the back mm-hmm. of your mind. Um, you are drawn to it like a magnet. It draws you and attracts you to certain places and things like a magnet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's always there and it's always unique. Yeah. It doesn't make you a special snowflake. <laughs> But even then, every snowflake is unique. Yeah, that's true. So now let's talk about resistance to calling. Yes. Yeah, okay. So Paul Scanlon, this is a really powerful thing. He he talked about how there will always be resistance to your calling. And mm. he, he starts with two, okay? The first mm. is imposter syndrome, which most of us are familiar with that term. Yep. And the second, he just describes it as discre- disagreement with where you're headed in life. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so so imposter syndrome, we're going to be a bit Christian here, okay? So imposter mm. syndrome is most likened to the, the typology of Moses, mm. right? Moses, when God called him, he went, who am I going to say sent me? Mm. You know, I can't talk well, I'm a stammerer, send someone else, give me a partner, Aaron, to go with me mm-hmm. or to speak on my behalf. And then I always joke about this in church, right? In the end, Aaron did no speaking. And Moses did all the speaking. <laughs> it so is isn't that funny? It is, right? Yeah. And 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 really, I think the other thing that I was just reflecting about this today, Aaron, you know, when 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 Moses asked for Aaron, he didn't actually ask for a partner. Hmm. He asked for a security blanket. Um. And I think sometimes that's how a lot of us imposter syndrome manifests in a subtle way. Yeah. So some of us will still go, but then we'll try to pull other people alongside us to do the thing that we're scared to do. Mm. When really the only way to live into our true calling and identity is to be Moses mm. and not cling on to somebody else as your security blanket. Mm. And let Aaron be Aaron. Mm. Yeah, so, so, but here's the interesting thing, right? So I learned recently, actually, majority of successful high achievers actually all struggle with imposter syndrome. All the people you admire and love that are high achieving, well, not the narcissist, but the rest of the mm. 90% of the population they struggle with uh, imposter syndrome. So if you're going through that, normal. Okay, don't need to badger yourself about it. The, the second kind of um, resistance, he says, is disagreement with where you're going. And he gave the typology of Jonah, mm. which Jonah didn't believe that the people of Nineveh deserve a second chance. Mm. He didn't want to inconvenience himself with the possibility of being rejected or whatever. However, you want to interpret that story. Like we, our church doesn't like Jonah very much. <laughs> we oh basically, the past two years bashed him nonstop. Um, but there is something to be learned, which is, I think the past, uh, this last year, especially I think for mm. myself, um, with having to start the business department and having to uh, rethink church and how we do church I think definitely there are days where I feel like I'm in disagreement with where I know God wants me to go I have to say that mm-hmm. yeah where I feel like oh, this is another situation where I'm going to be dragging the team along into a certain direction that is difficult am I going to be having to put in all the energy into this and I mm. have a certain reluctance besides the imposter syndrome. Mm, yeah. And so, what Paul Scanlon asks us to do is to really, really go and differentiate what is our ego talking mm. and what is the calling that is speaking and will not let you go. Mm. Yeah. And so, so I've realized over this year as I've learned to quieten that egotistical part of me that 
still somehow I want to be there pushing through and mentoring people through the business department. Still somehow I want to keep building church and I won't let it go. Mm. And and I'm particular that I want it to be excellent. I want it to be good. I want our relationships to be solid. Like I just somehow cannot let go. I guess maybe it's like TiVo intro class. I keep thinking like, I, I will do this again. <laughs> like, I'm going to like confront people and say like, I will not customer service you. But then when I get out here, I feel free when I express it. Um, yeah, so, so I think this is the freeing part, okay? Mm. Paul's going to say resistance isn't good or bad. Mm. We tend to feel very bad about ourselves, about ourselves like, oh, why am I so insecure when I face imposter syndrome? Yeah. Why am I so ego and like my backsliding and having a bad attitude? But, Paul's going to say, instead of looking at resistance as a bad thing, look at it as a neutral thing, that it's a classroom that's designed to help you connect with who you are. Mm. You know, to recognize that it's just your calling having a fight with your ego. Mm. And he said, it's really important that we understand this and we accept this about ourselves, that we are human. Otherwise, we will end up self-doubting ourselves out of calling because we feel not worthy. Mm. Or we can end up being really arrogant like Jonah and just responding badly and childishly and backsliding the way that he did away from a connection with God and a connection with our true selves. Mm. Yeah. Which is what happened to Jonah at the end of the story. It's a pretty sad one. Yeah. It's a story of a guy who went to Nineveh but never fulfilled his calling and never found connection with his true self or Mm. Yeah. You see, but these two resistance may never go away, right? Well, according to him, it never goes away. Mm. So I, that was also another freeing thing to hear Paul Scanner. Because, you know, I look up to him so much, right? Yeah. Our team looks up to him so much to have this man who is, I think, near 70, maybe already. Wow. And I think he's older than 70, actually. I think he's 74 wow. or something like that. And he goes. I still wake up and feel imposter syndrome and mm. I still wake up and feel resistance to my calling but mm. I'm compelled to do it and mm. it's okay that you feel that way. And then he said, I'm not sure it will ever go away. Mm. Isn't that so refreshing? Yes. Because so many people, all those that I don't like celebrity <laughs> pastors in the pulpit say, you mustn't doubt faith. You know, like, if, you, if, you, if you doubt, it will not be done. You know, they always quote James, right? You are like a thing tossed about in the yeah. wave and, like, and then you feel like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Yeah, yeah but Paul's kind of like, no, it never goes away and that isn't necessarily bad. Yeah. So freeing. Oh. It's freeing. But it's also a sad thing. I know. It's like, oh. it's like what? Yeah, I have I to deal with that for the rest, rest of, of my, my life. life. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. But you see, I look at him and I go, he's in a space now, he said, where there's like bad moments where it was very depressing, especially when you're doing something new and you're fighting your way out of a mm. status quo. Yeah. But I think he does it right now with a lot of peace and serenity. Mm. So I go, there is some healthy. Um, alignment with yourself to be found, I think. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yes. Mm. So, PC is success an indicator of our calling? No. <laughs> um, so, therein lies the third challenge with regards to resistance to our calling, right? It's because the really hard part of calling sometimes is that we don't get to see the success point, the end point of mm. our calling. So, so, for example, right, 
you know Hebrews 11, one of my favorite verses, it talks yeah. about the cloud of witnesses yeah. and how none of them saw the promise fulfilled. They saw something in their lifetime, but not everything. Mm. And even Jesus, it was the hope of his calling that held him to the cross, but he didn't get to see the, the fruition of the church, for example, even the first church or even today, right? Yeah. But they looked forward to what the next generation would continue to do standing on their shoulders. Mm. And, and, and how at the end of eternity, all of us in the whole scheme of human history mm. were a part of building Camelot, <laughs> the city of God. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think therein lies the third tension now, which is the, the very strong possibility that we won't see all that we want to see in our lifetime. Hmm. is the nature of calling. You see, you can do identity and live well and live fulfilled and content. But calling is a whole other thing. It's a hope. Hmm. There's a hope attached to, to something that you might not ever see. Hmm. Yeah. So an example, right? A, a great recent example yeah. um, that was given was Hillary, Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump and it was devastating. I mean, everybody expected her to be the first female president yes. of the United States and really, I guess, we was leader of the free world, so to speak. Yeah. But, but she may have lost, but then following her, the following election, the highest number of women ever in the US have been elected to office. Oh. And the first black female vice mm. president. You know, and I'm sure Kamala Harris is thinking, okay, I'm going to be the first, right? She didn't get it. But then she's already now paved the way for other women of colour to be in high offices in, mm. in the government there. Lah. So, so yeah. therein lies the thing. A lot of times people will look at Hillary Clinton and go, she was a failure and then go and deconstruct all the reasons why she failed and she couldn't make it happen. Mm-hmm. But maybe she wasn't supposed to make it happen because calling is more than the end point. Calling mm-hmm. is something that you leave behind Hmm. It's planting a tree for the next generation to hmm. sit under, lah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a really hard one. I I think I struggle with that hmm. one a lot because I want to feel like I see and and sometimes it's really depressing. You know, I think when we talk about like the last episode, we talk about like how we get pushed back over being a female leader. Hmm. And yep. I think to myself like, oh my god, like I thought you know when I rose up, the women before me were like you're going to be the first and you're going to change the world. So you take on the idea, right? Yes! Later on, there are going to be many people like me. And now I'm here and I'm like, yeah, not going to happen <laughs> in my generation. Like, I guess correct lah, when y'all nickname us the Joshua generation, Joshua lost his whole generation. And it was only the next generation where everybody went into the, went into the promised land. Yeah. So, yeah, I wish I could be here. I will hopefully, maybe when I'm 70, I'll see like half the women in churches here are leaders. Mm, hopefully. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Patriarchy is a strong animal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm. So yes. is there a possibility that our calling is a misfit of our time? A misfit with our time? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think especially if your calling is to disrupt and pioneer something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Owen Mamez is always famous for saying this, right? He mm. says like, yesterday's heretics are to do today's orthodoxy. He said that to <laughs> Brian Houston of Hillsong Church. And, and Brian Houston was like, I hope not. <laughs> but I think it's so true because 
like the, the apostles, the early church, you read their story, right? They were considered heretics by the Jews. Mm. You know, and they were persecuted. I think, what, like 10 out of 12 of them were martyred for Christ. Mm. Paul was martyred for mm. Christ. Um, then, years later, even the Pentecost, Costal Movement, they're all the Charismatics, loves all the Charismatics. Right now, they're fundamentals. Remember, you were once a heretic. Mm. Because 50 years ago, when the Holy Spirit swept back into the, the construct of church, right? Mm. And it was led by a black man, mm. American, oh, American yeah. black man. And, and people call him a heretic. He mm. never, he, he, he died slightly depressed because he was never accepted by mainstream yeah. church. And now it's like, yeah. it is mainstream church. It's orthodoxy. And now when you start preaching inclusion mm. and we start preaching female leaders, it's like, heretics! <laughs> You are not following the Bible. I just go, oh yeah, this seems to be a pattern with human beings. Anything yeah. that is disruptive to the status quo is a heretic. Mm. And then at some point, the idea catches fire and it works. And then you become the next persecutor of the next innovation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, which is a sad thing. I've only you could learn not to do that. Mm. We will move so much faster. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that is cool to to maybe bring up is Paul Scanlon said callings go by responsibility not by capability. Hmm. Okay, so what he means by this is um, most of the time you know a calling by how it grips you, mm. how it won't let you go, it burdens you. Mm. You feel a deep need to step up and to do it no matter what the challenge is. And, and he said again, uh, there will always still be that tension with that that responsibility and your actual capability. You know, you were still... So he was saying, right, no matter how far he's gotten with knowing his identity and calling, mm. he still wakes up every day and goes, why me? Mm. Yeah, so you will struggle. I mean, MLK struggled when you yeah. read his biography. Mandela struggled. You know, Mother Teresa, I read her biography and really my heart broke. Mm. But that was a terrible... Like, that's a controversial biography because it was not supposed to be published. It was her private letters. And oh. I think it shook a lot of people when they saw the wom- the journal of the woman behind the persona of this um, hero of mm. the poor. Yeah. And she struggled so much. And she struggled with doubts and wondering whether she really knew God or she was pursuing a, a fantasy, a grandiose idea. Mm. Till the day she died. Like, it's like... Mm. Okay, so that happens also. But then I think Paul Scanlon, he said this, like, you, you got to understand, this is the thing about calling, even your darkest days, you will get up and still do it because it's important. Mm. Yeah. Fizzy, I wanted to ask, like, so let's say if a person is really responsible, <laughs> yeah, they still have to differentiate, right? Yeah, between... and that's why you got to do it in the work. Mm. Because one of the things I brought up recently to him was like, Sometimes for me, responsibility can yeah. be a double-edged sword. Yeah. And I really had to sit and differentiate. Responsibility is great because like, it binds me here. It makes me progress yeah. and move things. But I have to really figure out about what of it is my calling mm. and what of it is the things people have imposed yeah. on me. Yes. Law. Right. Yeah. And so he said, there's no other way. you got to sit down. And you've got to reflect. And you got to separate. you got to mm. slow down and you've got to separate it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's what I've been able to do a little bit this year, which is why I can so confidently now say I like, go like, yeah, I think I'm dropping the pastor title next year. Mm. I'm pretty sure I will. Yeah. 
And you see, I, I see the need why mm. you guys call me pastor as a sign of respect. And I do think there is its pros where it's 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 a indicative of respect and receptivity. Yeah. But I think I'm fed up with the attachment it goes it has with I'm expected to provide certain services and I'm expected to fit a mold mm. of do visitations, conduct weddings, funerals, provide services to you, lay hands on you, counsel you when you are down. Like it mm. comes attached with it it makes me it forces me to spend eighty of percent of my time having to 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 negotiate your definition of pastor Mm-mm. versus my true calling. Mm. So I just go why don't I just take that away and maybe then maybe we'll even force our church to learn what true respect is and true receptivity is without the crutch of a title. Mm. Yeah, so I'm pretty mm. sure I'm losing it lah next year. Mm. I'll go take you a while to adjust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Zihan, when he's with my friends, right, he has to call me by name. He always like, uh, CJ. <laughs> he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so anyway. um, But yeah, I, I, I probably want to do that. But I would encourage everyone to keep doing that work in life but to mm. really differentiate what yeah. is responsibility yes. and what is calling yeah yeah mm. yeah okay next one so next one is calling but here's again encouragement calling comes with the strength to fulfill it mm. but not the instructions mm. <laughs> and that's the problem we all want especially millennials we want instructions to come with the calling yes but the only thing it comes with is strength isn't this so powerful Mm. So I want to give really all kudos to Paul Scala. I'm really plagiarizing him today, mm. okay? Um, he says it comes with courage, stubbornness, audacity, outrage, frustration, mm. all the abiding qualities that even when people think you are illogical and even when you know you are being illogical and it doesn't make sense, you still keep going because it's who you are and you have a compelling need to do it. PC, how do we know when it is our calling and when it is we are just being reckless and irresponsible? I know. I was asking that question when he was talking <laughs> to us. I was like, okay, I know. I, I accept what you say. I, I can feel it and I know it's true that sometimes like, it's illogical. Yeah. Like how when I started this church, I was like, I'm not going to university. And then I... I people thought it was illogical. I also knew it was illogical, <laughs> but I just had to do it. And I think there were moments I regretted it. You know, I ever asked, um, I don't want to say name. So I'll say, mm. well, my mentor I said, did mm. I make a mistake by not going to university? And he said to me, luckily he was very wise. He's a very pragmatic guy, but he said to me, and he said very wise, he said, you wouldn't have started the church if you went to university. You have been a completely different person. Mm. And it's true. I could have been a lawyer, but I would imagine it would have made me a very prosperity orientated, success orientated in the way I did church, you know. I think it would completely change the spirit of the evolution. Mm. And I still went later on. So let me qualify. I'm not a dumbo. I went. <laughs> I have a master's. Going to get a second master's probably. <laughs> but um, I think it would have changed. Um, so I don't really know how to measure it. I just... Because it's very scary, right? If you're being illogical, what if you're just being narcissistic and grandiose? Yeah. We've been reading that book. So that's the fear of every day. Am I a narcissist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think 
But I do think, yes, don't be reckless. But you see, here's the thing. I also think when you're young, you're going to make mistakes. Mm. You are going to make reckless mistakes. I made a lot of reckless mistakes. Does it mean that it wasn't my calling? No, it's just my capability and my maturity hadn't caught up to the calling. Mm. I think it's the better way I look at it. Yeah. We should talk about that, huh? Yes. Leadership mistakes and heartbreaks. I've made a lot of them. Mm. But I look back now, I go, it's not that I wasn't called or that I was reckless. I just didn't have the, the experience mm. and the wisdom and the maturity to do it better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's end off with this story, right, before we go to the next section. Yep. Which is, um, do you know that when uh, ancient cathedrals were mm. built, um, all those cathedrals that we now admire, right? Notre Dame, blah, 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 mm. blah. Do you know that each cathedral took 200 to 500 years to finish? Wow. Because they didn't have modern tech, right? Mm-mm. If you look at it, I mean, it's really quite a piece of art yeah. whenever you walk into a place. And, and I think it's really quite an incredible picture. I mean, I know there's a pushback nowadays to see like church is not a building, and a <laughs> cathedral and an edifice. Yes, I agree. Mm. But there's something quite amazing about that idea because how do you keep multiple generations invested mm. in building this place that you wouldn't see finish mm. for 200 to 500 years? That is half a millennia. How many generations yeah. passed through that? Yeah. And yet they were able to finish it. Finish. Mm. But maybe that's why I go, there is that truth to that Bible verse, right? That says God has put eternity in the human heart. Mm -hmm. That is why I think sometimes we make idols because we're trying to fulfill a need to, well, wrongly fulfill a need to create legacy. Mm. If we could only lean it into the right direction of calling and leaving something better behind for the next generation versus leaving a monument of ourselves in the next generation. Yes. Then that's when we can build mm. Camelot. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So PC basically that's uh, okay, I was thinking, is it does it mean that there are two routes that people would take? Meaning mm. one is they really make a difference in the world and leave behind legacy. Or two is they idolize and they create idols. Yes, idols and especially idols of themselves. I don't know whether there are only two routes. Mm. But I think definitely a lot of the legacy building and succession or what the world calls succession mm. planning. Yeah. Too much of it, I feel, has been leaders trying to pick someone that looks identical to mm-hmm. them. As identical as possible. Mm. Those are the people that get celebrated. Those are the people that are given resources. Those are the people that are empowered and mm. made famous. And that's not the way you're supposed to build the next generation. You're supposed mm. to give something better. And that means picking the person who is best to lead that generation. Mm, mm, mm. The innovators, the thinkers. I'm not talking about just provocative. I'm talking about someone who really wants what's best for the next generation. Mm, mm. So I think too much of legacy building right now, while it's a good idea, is actually a wrong way of doing it is to build idols. Mm. Like, you can either build something great over time, like 
we all build a great utopia yeah. and we keep building and we don't even know what exactly it yeah. looks like. We just have an idea and we let every generation contribute yes. to that idea. Or you just set up idols that will one day fade ah, and fall. Ah. Mm. Statues of yourself that mean nothing. Mm-hmm. The only statue that we should be setting out on earth is God's image. Mm. And God doesn't even want a statue. He does it through us. Yeah. And he lets us flourish in all our creativity and diversity. And I think mm. that is a beautiful thing about our God. Mm. It really is a partnership. Even mm. though he is God, it's a partnership. Mm. Not, not God's ego idol building. I think that's just people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the last bit that we want to talk about is Pastor, you were talking about how uh, Paul Scanlon was saying that there is a tension with calling, right? Mm. That there are two energies constantly tugging at us. Mm. A push and a pull. Yeah. And it's important to know the difference. Mm. So, so most callings begin with a push. And I think if you reflect, mm-hmm. you'll find this to be true, right? Yep. A need to push away from something, to move away from something, there's a push factor, there's a propelling. And so, that's good for momentum. It's good for change. But, this is what's interesting. He says, it's not good for continuation of the calling. Mm. So, it's good to create awareness. It's good for a start. It's like a kickstart. But you cannot stay in the state of energy of pushing away. Mm -hmm. Whether it's pushing away out of frustration, out of depression, anger, fear. And this is the quality about calling. Have you noticed? I mean, you read any story in the Bible, you go through your own experience of calling. There's always frustration, depression, anger, fear, wanting to change up your life, wanting Mm. to push away. So, when he said that, I came to a realization, a personal awareness that I've been in that space for a couple of years lately with us transiting from Revival Nation to the Evolution. Mm. The past maybe three years? I will say about three years, right? And I still think I'm still in the tail end of that space. Maybe it's really the tail end right now where it's like, I'm going to be me and this is how I'm going to do our church. Mm. And you choose right now whether you're here or you're not here. It's okay. Mm. It's okay if you want to push away from this. Maybe your calling is somewhere else. You see, I think this is the other thing people don't talk about, right? People people like people to be called in. But sometimes God calls out. Mm. Mm. You know, God called Abraham to leave his family and everybody mm. behind. He yeah. called out, you know? So, so I think it's okay for right now as TiVo remakes itself. Because the fact of the matter is... I am the leader here and we have a team here that is pretty set in our values. Yeah. And if and now that we're starting to be very firm in our identity and we're saying this is who we are, you might discover this is not I want what I want and I want to push away and that's okay. God can call you out of this space and call you to another space. Yeah. You don't have to be here forever. I God might call me out of this space and into another role. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay. So hmm. um yeah, that's that's good. Okay, so I, I think I'm still in that space. But I think I'm about ready to make a deliberate switch, which is mm. to the pool factor. Hopefully, mm. 2021 will be a year or maximum another two years of switching. Because mm. um, hopefully, I come to a place where I've pushed far away from external factors like people who don't want me to be me. 
whether outside of our church community or in our church community. Hopefully, but this is the most important, I think, hopefully I pushed, I pushed away enough internally from being frustrated or feeling the weight of expectations yeah. and can fully live into the joy of being who I am and who Tivo is. Ah. Yes. And be unapologetic for it. I think that will create a different kind of excitement and like mm. thrill. Mm-hmm. Like, because then it will be back to the days when, you know, I think when we first started church, there was a push factor. Yeah. You know, in Kalang days. But then in Jalan Vermeumin, there was days of starting to run with just who we are. Mm. And then now we're back to remaking and so we push away again. But we have to change over. Yeah, I think anger and frustration is too tiring of an energy to stay in. Yeah. Depression yeah. and discouragement is too tiring of an energy to stay in. Yeah. I think Elijah stayed there for too long. Hmm. Yeah. Elisha did it well. Lah. Elisha had that, he pushed away from the rest of the prophets, mm. but then he just turned it around, he just lived into Who his is, double yeah. anointing. And, and I think that's the way to live, lah, to be joyful mm. and content and satisfied and mm. not have to answer to every single voice in your life. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether the difference between push and pull for me or for us is that our perspective of where we put our, how to say, where we are looking things from. Meaning push is that we are look, we are focusing on our past. Where yeah, we're trying innate, to push away. Yeah, where there's a fear that I don't want to be mm. and I want to make sure that I'm different five years ago. Mm. So that we are just focusing on like being further Yeah, we're facing the other way but then we're very, <laughs> yes, we're yeah. very aware of what's behind us yeah, right? and what like, is like no, we're trying to get away from. We that. don't want that yeah. anymore. Yeah, but I guess we need to switch to letting our focus be in the future to draw us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. I think another reflection I had though is looking back on my life to where I'm in a push zone, right? Human beings are like, we can't really segregate. I'm a very compartmentalized mm. human being. I'm very logical, but I realize that feelings are not simple. Like, like when I'm pushing away from one thing, I could be reacting to I don't know whether it's family or it's external critics. Mm, yeah. But you do end up actually pushing the people that love you a little bit away too and keep mm. them at a distance. And if you're not aware of that, you, you don't know how to be more careful with that. Mm, that, that, that energy in your yeah. life because it is an energy and it's consuming. You're not a segregated human being. You're, you have one amygdala Mm-mm. that affects your entire brain. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's so important to be aware of that so that you don't end up in childishness or immaturity um, losing relationships that you need to keep mm. on the journey forward. Oh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I do think you need to start getting excited about what's ahead. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure you have full control. You have some control. I think you control over your response mm. but as for timing of when calling switches, Mm-mm. you just got to be very attentive to what God is doing. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's where we'll end here about yes. calling and then we'll come back for a Q&A. Q&A. Yes. Yay, finally we are at the Q&A section. Q&A! Woo! To ask a few questions that all of us want to find out. Q applause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, the first question is um, how important it is to define or have clarity on our calling? Uh, I ask that because I think like we t- said it earlier, which is we don't want to be people where we are so fixated on 
Like oh, we okay. need to know our calling before we can take the first step. So is it okay if we are not very sure? Mm. Mm. Because you don't want people to fall apart when things yeah, don't work correct. out according yes. to... Yeah. Okay, so I think, number one, I think it is very important to identify, to, to define your identity and have clarity on your calling. I think it's very important. I think when you live from a, from meaning and your why, mm. it informs how you do life. It informs who you become as a person. It informs the choices that you make. Uh. So I think it's important to define. Mm. However, I would say when you're younger, you should hold it a bit more lightly. Because mm. I think we tend to be... Well, for millennials, I'm not sure how Gen Z is going to be. But millennials, we tend to be very rigid in holding on to some ideal that we mm. came up with when we were 17, 18, 19, 20. Mm. And when we don't get those things, we fall apart and we have an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I go... How bad is it to have an identity crisis? Because it's a classroom, right? For your reflection. It's basically, you didn't reflect. It didn't happen. And then, you're now forced to reevaluate. So, I I can't say that it's bad. But I do think, in general, it's important for a human being to take the time to define it. And take the time to, every now and then, to revise it and reflect Mm. and see if something has changed. Well, not that it's changed. Mm. That you've uncovered something that you didn't realize was there. Because... You'll be really surprised. I think as you get older, you, you you realize it more. You'll be so shocked at how much you think it's you, but it's not really you. That it's it's either you being fixated on certain qualities that you have mm. or certain expectations and labels that people put on you. Mm. Um, okay, I'll give you an example of, of something that happened to me recently that made me reflect, okay? So you guys know I hate the word nurturing. Mm. because there was a period of time people kept saying oh pastor you're so nurturing and I, I pushed back I think because the people who said it to me sometimes were were expecting me to pastor them mm. in that certain definition of pastoring yeah. but recently Winnie said to me she had a dream or oh no 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 she was doing some visualizations in, in <laughs> like in an exercise during therapy and then <laughs> and then the person asked her to imagine and what she attaches to the image the moment she she saw me in her mind she said nurturing pastor is so nurturing of my life <laughs> and immediately right I go nurturing <laughs> but you see I understood what she's saying yeah that that in my mentoring gift I am very like I do make a certain amount of space mm-hmm. for people to figure out who they are and I try to draw out stuff in their mm-hmm. life and that's who I've been to her mm-hmm. that she feels. Um, so I have to be very clear, right, what part of the definition of nurturing I'm pushing back against and mm-hmm. what part is actually my calling. It's just that we're using the definitions differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I do think it's important to work it out to hold on to something but not too tightly. Yeah, kind of like true. a kite string. Learn yeah, when yeah. to let go and when to hold back. But be also be very careful what you're fixated on. Because mm, I think mm. a lot of times why things fall apart is people are fixated on the gift. People are fixated on a certain image of success. Mm, mm. They are fixated on... Um, they're just fixated on, on the thing and the what versus the who. The who. Yes. Because who makes things and why makes things very flexible, actually, if you think mm. about it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what role you play or what title you carry. Yeah. I could be a leader here at the Evolution. I could be a parent to my child and I will still want to do it with connected leadership, intelligence, and creativity. Mm-hmm. 
another parent may not be doing it the same way, but that is how I will do it when I parent my kids. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think it's also innately inhuman to, how to say, to seek out who we are. Yeah. We will, we will pursue and find out like where our roots come from, where identity comes from. So yes. I guess the point is just don't be fixated. Yeah. And I think about. you'll be able to tell when you're pursuing the wrong thing. I, I do think right now we all attach it to what? Mm-mm. But yes. you, you'll reach there and feel a dissatisfaction because it's trying to point you to the fact that you haven't figured out your why and your calling versus the what that you want to achieve. Mm. You mm. got it on the reverse. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And now a question from Vivian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's like nervously not the mic. But go ahead, Vivian. <laughs> ah, yes. uh, um, so, Carrie's what well asked, like, um, uh, how do you separate like your calling from what you're good at? I, yeah, okay. So I think I've said this to some people before, right? If your identity is be- defined by what you're good at, then what happens when you lose that, mm-hmm. what you're good at? I mean, if an athlete gets to accident and loses their ability to run, is their life over? No. Yeah, like the model answer is no, <laughs> la, right? Yeah. But if they had defined their identity mm. by what they do, then you will fall apart. Yeah, true. So, so I think one of the freeing things for me this season is to realize that I am not a pastor. Mm. And that my identity is connected leadership, intelligence, and creativity. And that means if I don't have this church, or this church doesn't become a mega church, mm. it doesn't change my identity. I mean, I mean, I might feel discouraged for sure because I think human beings, we just naturally, is very hard. We're always like, we have this part of us that, that can live for the invisible and faith, but mm. there's a part of us that's still very yeah. bound by the world yes. and and what people have told us is important mm. and is that that tension. But the, the, I mean, all the greatest people we admire right now are the people who can live free of the world. Mm. They're in the world, but they're free of the world. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about. Mm. He, he's not talking about some weird thing or Christians withdraw and we are, we are weird weirdos that cannot live in community with the rest of the world. Yeah. And he's talking about like you are in it, mm. but you're just not off it. Yeah. And there's a certain serenity that comes from knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. So by all means, be a rich accountant. <laughs> but don't define your identity by being a rich accountant. Mm. Look at why do you want to be a rich accountant? That is the part that's closer to your identity. What about it makes you happy? For example, maybe your value, one of it is stability. I want security of my life so I can my relationship, my family or whatever is taken care of and I don't have to worry about those things. I want to be mm-hmm. able to have new experiences and do things for people. I like find a why behind it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because then it doesn't matter whether you succeed or fail at being an accountant. You can always find something else to be rich at and something else to create stability <laughs> from. <laughs> does that make sense? Is that a little bit helpful? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Because another question is, calling is about making the world better, making a difference in people's life. Yeah. But is there a chance where people, let's say, who are downright selfish or self-absorbed that couldn't, just couldn't come to that revelation of discovering like what their calling is? I don't think it's the majority. (laughs) Yeah, yes. And I have to admit, I'm still shocked 
that there are shallow people out there, I am still pretty shocked. Um, well, but according to researchers and philosophy and the book that we just read, mm. the narcissism book that people like that do exist, uh, like psych- psychopaths, mm. like, like sociopaths, and then the narcissist, which is like one degree of separation. Mm. Um, I think there are downright selfish and shallow people out but not, there. Definitely not the majority. I don't think it's the yeah. majority. I think that's why calling is now no longer just a Christian word, is it? It's a mm. human word. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, so I don't think, I don't know lah, but I do, I, I still really do hold to the thing that I think most human beings, we want to live with empathy, we want to be mm, good, we want yeah. to make some sort of difference, which explains why sometimes, even if people walk away from it from a time, mm. because they needed, I don't know, security or their family situation wasn't good, so they needed to make money, I feel like that's very normal, they got caught up in the race, that's again very normal yeah. as human. Yes. But then you see a lot of older folk when they are in their later years when they attain a certain level of success and they realize there's nothing really much else. They start to do a lot of charity work. Mm. They start to retire and go and volunteer. Mm. Yeah. Because I think they're returning to that calling mm. if they had walked too far away from it. Because I think it still slips out. I think it still comes back around. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, mm. yeah. So I think majority of people yes. yeah, want to make the world better. Yes. And with question from Aishu. Yes, um, um, cause we talk about calling personally and with God, but how about calling in community? Like, how does it intertwine with community, and how does community play a part in our calling? Mm. So that's a question I've been smulling over mm. the past one year because I was very uh taken by Paul Scanlon making us figure out our identity. And then the question for me became, because you know, like, connected leadership is my thing. I want team. Then I yeah. started to ask the question, then how do you figure it out as a team? In mm. terms of team calling, like what is the time? Like do you just sit down <laughs> and then everyone discuss their identity and then you come to a conclusion? But then like that, we will forever be stuck discussing, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think there's a part of the personal that applies to the team, which is it slips out. Hmm. I mean, you look at the evolution, right? It's who we are. It slips out. We haven't had to sit down and discuss everything to know this is who we are. We've had some discussions. Mm. We've had to language it in a clear way so that every new person that steps in can immediately decide is this for me or not, resonate or not. Mm. So I think there is some team thing happening that you want to call it higher power led. <laughs> God let like I, I think it's God lad. so yeah. I think there's something slipping out I think or if you want to be more sociological about it mm. light attracts light mm. to a degree we just don't want to be too homogeneous mm. yeah but I think with personal calling so I don't know Paul Scanlon said this to me because I asked him that question also, like what do we do and is there a difference and he said whoever is the leader of the team must have a compelling enough vision and a big enough identity and calling from God that people can easily fit into. Mm. That that there's space for their identity and mm. calling within that framework. Mm. Then after that, I kind of stopped worrying about it because I think my calling is pretty broad. Mm-mm. Enough for everybody to be themselves. So I think it's inbuilt there. Like 
connected leadership. You're like, everyone <laughs> like, <laughs> empathetic and like, make space. Mm-mm. And then we care about diverse community. Yeah. And we care about like, hey, you don't have to give up everything to mm-hmm. be in church. Like, who you are can be in church, outside church, everywhere. Just be a holistic being, be yes. one person. So I feel actually our vision, our calling is big there enough is for, for everyone, everyone mm-hmm. here. Now, in of course, in real world outworking, mm-hmm. right? For example, there may be challenges. Like right now, we are 100 people. So maybe I can't have a dance ministry. <laughs> I'll just use Teolian as an <laughs> example. <laughs> because Teolians give that a dance, right? Yeah. But we don't have the resources to create a dance ministry. But where we can, we keep trying to make space for that to happen. And then I feel when it's time, it will happen. Mm-hmm. I feel we won't be able to help it because because it's not like we can stop it, right? Yeah. If his calling is going to come out, then people are going to be attracted to that and we will attract dancers. He will have people here to do stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, dancing is a thing. Yes. It's a what. Yep. My bigger question is what's behind his gift? What is it that that he loves? Like, is it connecting with people, mentoring you? Because that is the real identity, not mm. the what, not the what mm. of being a a dancer. Same thing with me, right? I'm a preacher, but I'm more than a preacher and a communicator. There's something else behind that that mechanism of why I want to use communication as a way to mm. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think your calling can exist if the community culture is big enough. But the community culture is very rigid. And, mm-hmm. and the community culture is focused on only what? Mm-hmm. Like, we want you to come into this church, obey the rules of Christianity. There are rules of Christianity. You must be married, have children. Mm-hmm. Then a lot of people end up losing their identity in order to fit into those boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I think it's that law that's really happening. So I actually think our community is pretty... Um, flexible in its boundaries and then because we also believe in evolution mm. well like that winner yeah. <laughs> no problem man we can fit anything in here <laughs> as long as it don't depart from the anchor of goodness <laughs> love kindness yeah. inclusion right I don't think there's really going to be a major issue yeah yes. but I still think of course there are going to be some people that find chemistry elsewhere more than our church Definitely, yeah. even with churches that are our friends mm. I would still say some young adults will be happier following mm. Pastor Salah. Some young adults will be happier following FCC mm. than here, law. Mm. Yeah. Yes. PC, do you think calling changes then? Like it evolves? Does it go through some sort of deconstruction somewhere along the way? Uh, wow. I think calling... No, I think roles change. Calling mm. doesn't. Mm. I just think you discover more calling. And I think the process of discovery very often is like how we talked about in preaching. Mm. You deconstruct mm. and then you cycle back yeah. around to understanding. Then you deconstruct again. You cycle back to understanding. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, so no, I don't think it changes. I think you just uncover it more fully mm. as you yeah. mature. Then, PC, is it possible to be sure of your calling? Like, would you get it wrong? And also, is there a particular time frame in our life where we are, we just have a sense of, that we know, <laughs> that we know, okay, this is our calling. Yeah, you know until you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, in our 20, I don't know, can we put a number to it? <laughs> I cannot speak for people who didn't grow up in church. You, see. Mm, mm, mm. you and I both 
we got our revivals when we were around 14 years old. Yeah. And then that led to a certain journey. So for example, I would say a youth at 14, 15, 16 in my time and your time, mm. we're at a stage of life where there's no responsibilities, we're free and easy, there's a lot more time. I don't know about youth now, it's a bit different. Yep. We had a lot of time to pray. We had a lot of time to ask the question, who am I? And mm. God, who do you want me? We had a lot of time to journal, to reflect. And yep. so we came to, I think, a very strong sense of calling, at least the part of living for God in certain ways, whether it was through being on a worship team or being a pastor one day or preaching one day or being a leader of youth. We came to quite a very certainty at that point of stage. Mm. Yep. Then that when we're in our 20s, I think it changes because you start to have responsibilities and you start to be on a chase and you start to really feel the pressure of success. Mm. Needing to be successful. Yeah. And I think that period of time is a really tough one because you do very little reflection. Mm. And when you do very re- little reflection, you tend to default to your revelation from your 14, 15, 16. Mm. And then that's where eventually you burn out, you hit identity crisis. Mm. And you're forced to slow down and ask yourself, is this really what I want? Mm. And then you remake. Ah. Mm. So I'm not telling you that's going to be your journey. I'm simply giving you the different <laughs> situations that put you in, in a certain space internally to seek out your calling. But you see, I've also seen the problem of like, when people are too rigid of a personality, mm. they have a bigger crash. Mm. And they struggle a lot more because they have a very rigid sense of what a certain thing is and what and they cannot they cannot understand that different people use the word differently with different definition. Mm. You know, they cannot understand that all like you can have five different truths and they exist in all the same space. Mm. Yeah, so so I think I think it really depends on your personality. I think it depends mm. on your face, space of life. And it depends on the time that you are in. Mm, so the real question I'll be asking very soon is what Gen Z's process is. Because they're only midway through. Yeah. Well, right now, Gen Z, the oldest, is 25. Mm. Then the 20s. We don't even know what's going to happen to them when they hit 30. Mm. So I can see what their reaction. I see a certain consistent reaction. Um, I do think the current Gen Z, the younger ones, at 14, 15, 16, 17, Depending how caught up they are with school, mm. it determines how much of that experience that's similar to us of mm. discovering calling. And mm. I will say it's becoming less. But there's good and bad because our definition of calling has also changed. Mm. Yes. You know, um, then in the 20s, I still see the same caught up thing, which is the chasing after success. Mm-hmm. And then becoming very muddled, like feeling like the two master syndrome, which all the millennials felt in their 20s, like mm-hmm. surf church, surf work, surf God, surf world. Mm-hmm. They're going through exactly the same thing. It's just they are manifesting it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when they become in their 30s and then I don't know, the next gen starts <laughs> to score them. <laughs> it'll be five to six years yeah, time. Five to six years time is coming. Yeah. Coming, coming, coming. Pizzi, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. my last question is just, do you think calling is both internal and external forces at work? Meaning that we discover our calling where internally we do reflections and, you know, we, we kind of get an inkling. And then external, the environment, 
uh, nurture, you can say it, the Influences people yeah, that we surround ourselves with and then it shapes eventually what it looks like. Ooh. Wow. Um, if you're asking whether you can pick up your calling from your culture, mm. I would say no. I'll go back to mm. it can culture and environment can both help and hinder. Mm-mm. Because again, I go back to, I think, I really do believe calling is innate. Mm-hmm. It slips out. Because I, I look back on my life and I can see all of who I am slipping out even when I was younger. It slips out in the stories I'm drawn to. Mm. When I'm reading fairy tales mm. at night, it slips out in the subjects I'm drawn to at school. Yeah. Um, or the boredom I felt at school at subjects that didn't resonate with me and when it wasn't God it was I was asking the big questions when I was young of like why am I following a God is God really love you tell me in church he's love but humanity is suffering mm. how is God love and how is God at work in the world mm. like it, it it was a very simplistic way to phrase it back then right but now when I look back, I go, no, it was the herald of who I am now, which is who is Jesus in the world and mm-hmm. how are human beings connected and who are we supposed to be as humanity? Like, I'm asking all those big questions even when I was younger. Mm. So I just feel if you were to go and look back on your life and really write down moments and sit down and write them down, you will find that there's a story to your life that slips out. That's beyond just personality and nurture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me wonder. Like, I feel every maybe everyone has a D question that they have to answer for their life. A what that, question? The D question, like the question that they are seeking oh, answer for. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Meaning and purpose. Yeah. Unless you're a psychopath or a narcissist, <laughs> uh, then your question is how do I kill the next <laughs> <laughs> How do I destroy? How do I get hit? Um Yeah, but I think uh and which really beckons the question too, right? Because in my worldview, I have to I have to believe that even narcissists and psychopaths and sociopaths mm-hmm. are children of God, and that when it comes to all of eternity, he makes room for that. Which I guess, I guess, if you think about life as a bigger picture, then mm-hmm. then death is not that scary, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're just someone that's contributing to the flourishing of the next generation or mm. the lesson that the next generation needs to learn. Yeah. I won't go so far to say as hateful people are good mm. people, but I will say there's a, some larger picture that I haven't really articulated. Uh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the end of our Q&A. <laughs> okay, so we hope you enjoyed this we one. <laughs> yeah. So have us like, comment, share with your friend. And we'll see you in the next episode. This is Uncommon Humanity by The Evolution. Do us a favor by leaving us a great review or share this with some friends. And if you really love the content, consider supporting us. You can give through theevolution.org or email us at uch at theevolution.org for more info.